be the message for the whole hour, right? Yeah, thank you, Janelle. Do you remember the beginning of the year we sort of had a word that you were supposed to have for the whole year? Do you remember your word? You just went, oh, yeah, 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 I had a word. My word was joy. And so that wasn't just a reading for mothers. I think that's a reading for all of us. Where did the joy go? And is our lack of joy or unhappiness playing its way out into our children's lives? Let me pray. Lord, here this morning we ask that you would allow our hearts to be renewed through your spirit. Lord, whether we are in a place of deep frustration or we're on a mountain peak, we need your spirit in our life. We need the fruit of your spirit in our life. Lord, not just for us, but for those that we influence. Lord, we ask that through your word you would bless the nurturing of our souls. Lord, we pray, we thank you for the mothers that are here this morning and the nurturing that they continuously do in their life to others. But Lord, we need that nurturing from you today through your spirit. We ask this in your name. Amen and amen. Got a little bit of a ring going here with this, maybe pull it down a little bit. Um, I want to um, just have a word concerning the series that we're in. We are in a series on the Holy Spirit. And this series, um, I feel led that God wants us to just park here for a few weeks. And like I said, I'm not sure how many weeks uh, that will be. We are focusing not only on living in the Spirit here on Sunday morning, but in our life groups. And I realized this week, uh, I know it was true in my life groups and I uh, heard in the others as well, that the whole subject of the Holy Spirit um, is, well, I don't want to say controversial, but sometimes the whole subject of the Holy Spirit is just an uneasy subject. And I'm realizing this as we press into it because we come from different kinds of backgrounds. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But whatever background you may come from, the subject of the Holy Spirit causes pause because sometimes it causes division in churches. And we've seen divisions historically throughout many generations of what happens with churches uh, if they get off on one tangent or the other. But it's not just the whole subject of division. A lot of times we fear, rightfully so, that we will not um, live according to God's word and we might start living according to emotions or just sort of hearsay or whims or get caught up in things that don't align themselves back with the word. But that's not the case with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's the issue that we live in a post-enlightenment era, so the whole subject of spirit is hard for us to grab a hold of, and so we're used to dealing with more cognitive, tangible kinds of realities, including tangible realities of God's word. We can point to scripture and make it more practical. So when you move into the realm of the Holy Spirit, it's like, oh, am I getting out there a little bit? But I think there's also another big issue that causes problems with this subject of Holy Spirit, and it's this. The Holy Spirit wants to have control of your life, and we don't like losing control. You been there? I know it's true in my life. And so sometimes the whole subject of the Holy Spirit is, well, let's not get too far there. Let's go there. I've just learned through the years with this whole Holy Spirit thing is that the Spirit's going to tap on my heart and he's going to say, what about this? What about that? 
are you hesitant because of? Past, present, future, fears, whatever it may be. But the Holy Spirit is not out to cause problems in churches. The Holy Spirit's not out to uh, cause you to chuck your brain and just be in some ambiance of spiritness. All right? And the Holy Spirit's not out to seize control of your life to destroy you. He's out to take leadership in your life to bless you. Romans 14:17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The reading that Janelle gave, I couldn't help but think when that mother is trying to think in terms of where did the joy go in my child's face? And maybe it's because I've lost joy in my life and she's picking up my unhappiness, my disgruntledness, my focus on tangible things and the to-do list and lost the innocence. I thought, you know, that's true. That easily happens. But how is that joy restored? Foremostly, I believe that joy is restored by tapping into the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, the Holy Spirit's about righteousness, which means the salvation, righteousness through Christ for your sins to be forgiven, but also the righteousness of the kingdom of God and to be able to stand upright and walk in truth and rightness, justice and mercy in life. The Holy Spirit's not about causing, oh, concern and, and division. The Holy Spirit's about bringing peace. And the Holy Spirit's about bringing joy. These are things that are given to us through the Holy Spirit. And so the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the leadership of God, wherever you're at in your spiritual life right now, whether you want to follow God or not, or you're sort of just checking God out, you need to know it's just not, you know, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. We had a nice uh, uh, gathering last Sunday night with baptisms, and we had food and gathering, all good. But the kingdom of God's not about potlucks. It's not. That's all maybe sort of an extension of it in the community that we have one with another. But the kingdom of God is about righteousness peace, and joy. Aren't those beautiful subjects, realities, experiences that our world needs today? And maybe you need in your world. And where is it found? It's found in the Holy Spirit. So as we take on this subject, I just want to encourage you. Breathe. (laughs) Chill. But open yourself to God. And whether it's stuff you already know, or stuff that maybe pushes you on the edge, or you find out from somebody else a little bit different than you. Um, uh, God's got something in this season to rewrite his understanding, an understanding of his kingdom on your heart. Breathe. You ready? One, two, three. We'll do that again. That was good for you, wasn't it? One, two, three. Spirit in the Old Testament we looked at last week, Hebrew word, raka, breath of God, pneuma, the breath of God. One of the most beautiful, cool things I think is after Jesus' resurrection, if you read this in John 21, I believe it is, Jesus appears to them. They're fearful, right? And then he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He says, be at peace. Do not be troubled. And then he breathes on them the breath of the Spirit of God. And he tells them to do what? As the Father has sent me, so I send you. 
Remember Narnia, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe? Aslan. Narnia is frozen. Aslan representing Christ. And what does Aslan do to unthaw Narnia? Breathe. Breath of God, breathe on me afresh and anew. And that's really the center point, I think, of our journey is that wherever you're at, in your understanding of the Spirit, experience of the Holy Spirit or not, that you would be receptive to the breath of God being breathed on you. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. We looked at some of the mechanical aspects, if you will, the theology, the doctrine, and and it takes us to focus on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But if we just get caught up in the doctrinal aspect of the Holy Spirit without the experience of the Holy Spirit, uh, we'll, be, we'll miss what God has for us. But we cannot have experience that's just based upon ignorance or our own whims or maybe good or bad teaching from the past. Our experience has to base, be based on truth doctrinally from Scripture. And so we're walking through some some talking points, if you will, for the Holy Spirit. And the first one that we looked at last week was this one. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force or a feeling or a fabrication. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Counselor, which is about the Holy Spirit, says this. Spell this out in capital letters. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is not enthusiasm. He is not courage. He is not energy. He is not the personification of all good qualities like Jack Frost is the personification of cold weather. Actually, the Holy Spirit is not the personification of anything. He has individuality. He is one being and not another. He has will and intelligence. He has hearing. He has knowledge and sympathy and ability to love and to see and to think. He can hear, speak, desire, grieve, and rejoice. He is a person. He breathed on them the Holy Spirit and says, As the Father has sent me, I send you, because he was sending them with the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you relate to the Holy Spirit as a person, or do you relate to him sort of as, you know, uh, the, the, the personification of all good qualities of God, or, or maybe enthusiasm or courage? Do you relate to him as a person? And here's a question I'll ask you that, that maybe this is a little bit anxious for you. I know it was for me growing up, even in the household, which was conservative, Christian, uh, spiritually wise when I was growing up. The question is, have you ever prayed to the Holy Spirit? Have you ever spoke to the Holy Spirit and named him. We did it this week in one of my life groups. We prayed to the Holy Spirit. So, oh, wait a second, that's heresy. I was sort of taught that because the Holy Spirit's job is to point to Jesus in all things, and that's true, he does. He's the mediator. But if he is a person, then is it offensive to speak to him as a person or to pray to him as a person? To just simply say, Holy Spirit, I love you. Holy Spirit, you dwell within me as I'm seeking to follow Jesus. Holy Spirit, I need your help today. Holy Spirit, I give glory to God. Will you just take the glory to God in the heavenly realms? Holy Spirit, do you talk to him as if he's a person? You see, if you're just trying to grab a hold of some nebulous spirit force, and, and, and one of the errors that has really, I think, 
maybe disagree with me, historically been a problem in the church, is the King James Version did not translate the word pneuma, all right, as spirit, but translated it as the word ghost. So you grow up in Sunday school talking about God, the Father, Jesus, and then the Holy Ghost. In fact, we were talking in staff this week about that, and I think it was Deb, right? You said there was some assignment or something, and, and, a, and, a, and a child had done it. And as I drew, like, Casper the ghost, I said, what is that? Oh, that's the Holy Ghost, <laughs> right? Well, Numa Spirit, it, it, it is true that it's, it's not of a material realm, a touchable kind of realm, but his personhood is still existent, and it's not some strange thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to hide, even if it's Casper the ghost. I mean, that's not even good, right? I mean, we're talking, the reality is you and I have been spooked sometimes away from a relationship and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And what you need to do is sort of set those fears aside. And say, Lord, I'm going to take some new steps into my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because as we looked at last week from John 14, Jesus said, you know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father and he will send you another helper, a paraclete, that he may be with you forever. Right? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will be holding no more, but you will behold me. So the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. You can relate to the spirit as a person as surely as the disciples related to Jesus walking around. And, yeah, I usually pray to Jesus, pray to God. I don't very often pray to the Holy Spirit because I know the Holy Spirit's intermediary work in that. But every now and then, just to sort of shake me up a little bit and say, okay, am I where I need to be? It's like, Holy Spirit. All right. So the Holy Spirit is a person. I just want to come back and nail that point real good with you here. The other points are these last week. The Holy Spirit is God. He's co-equal, third person of the Trinity, 100% God in all ways. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. It's mentioned there in John 14. He is the helper, the advocate, the comforter, the counselor. Whichever way you want to translate that with whatever version of the Bible you have, the idea is that he is one who comes up alongside of you to be with you, companionship, to help you, to encourage you, all right, to teach you truth. And then we ended last week with the Holy Spirit indwells. The Holy Spirit just doesn't hover. And sometimes our theology in music can actually be dangerous in that way. We, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. That is true. But the reality is the Holy Spirit is only in this place in one sense because he resides in the life of the believers that are here. And when I sing that song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place, I'm just simply saying, Carrie, get out of the way. Stop worrying about all your agendas this week. Dial into the spirit that dwells within you and lift up your praise to God. You're welcome in this place. All right. So those were four things last week. I want to add one this week. It's this. It's very simple. The Holy Spirit transforms. The Holy Spirit transforms the person yielded to his control. Are you stuck in a rut today? Do you like not like who you are? As I sometimes say, people will move from one place to another, change jobs one place to another. But here's the challenge. Wherever you go, there you are. You ever feel that way? It's like I've got depression going on. i got issues. I can get, you know, I can move states, get a new car, all kinds of things. I can change marriages, whatever you think. But wherever you go, there you are. All right? And if 
that was the end of the story, then you and I are but miserable people. But here's the reality, that through the Spirit, you can be transformed, and you become new. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new, the Scriptures teach. First of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that invite the Spirit of Jesus in your life to lead you. But guess what? When you invite Jesus into your life to lead you as a Christian, what happens? You start to realize there's a lot going on inside of you that is not of the Holy Spirit. And you and I, we have to yield ourselves daily to the Holy Spirit to bring transformation about in our lives. Because there's some things at war in us. The Holy Spirit's there, but the sinful nature is there. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to take you to another passage of Scripture today. And this passage is in Romans. The Apostle Paul sometimes can be really heavy, over the top, sort of deep. You've got to sit down, pull it apart. And sometimes uh, that's good. It is good to study that way. But sometimes you need to step back and just let Paul roll with the punches and get, get the overall feel of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Let's see if I can walk through part of this passage with you that I memorized earlier in life. Paul says this in Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit for those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires the mind of the sinful man is death but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it even do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God is in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your bodies through his spirit who lives in you, lives in you. Therefore, brothers, sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live for the sinful nature. Uh, is it runs contrary to God. If you have the Spirit of God, you are the sons of God. And if that is true, then you are also the children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, so that we may also share in his glory. Now, 
Romans 8 in that passage, messed up a little bit of that at the end of it there. But it's, it's just this idea that there is a battle going on between the sinful nature, because we still have one foot in Adam, as Scripture says, the old self, and then the Holy Spirit has now come in our life, and he's trying to transform us and take more and more control. But yet these two are pitted each other. But every day you and I can make a choice. We have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it, but to live according to the spirit. Even in that reading that was given this morning out of that book, I'm thinking, you know, that mom who had the look in the rearview mirror and saw her little girl biting her lip and all bound up and things. You know, you got a you got a you got a choice to make there. Will I continue on this path of being Ain't concerned about every little jot and tittle in life and how things aren't aligned up. Or am I going to choose to live and walk in joy of the Spirit every day? So you are choosing to not live according to that bent of worry and fear and doubt and, you know, perfectionism, whatever it might be. And you are choosing to live according to the Spirit who says, look for flowers, not the weeds. Just love today. All right? And that's not some um, uh, superficial, like, just, you know, just forget about all your woes. The reality is there are woes there. There are challenges. But where is your mind? The sinful mind leads to death, but the mind controlled by the spirit leads to life and peace. And so you have to cognitively understand that there's this battle going on within you, but then choose in the moment to live according to. To the spirit. Now, you know, we're going to mention later the fruits of the spirit. And one of the fruits of the spirit is patience. All right. One of the hardest places I have for patience is in Costco at the checkout line. <laughs> Thankfully, they are fairly efficient. I do appreciate that. But uh, I know some of you are like me. You sort of scope out all the lines. You're not only scoping out all the lines. You're also looking at the cashiers to see if they look efficient or not. Do they have somebody helping them pack things away? Is the line moving or whatever? Because I don't really want to go stand in a line that then, oh, oh my goodness, then they got to go get a price check, do some other kinds of things, and you're sitting there and go, okay, right? And your mind just, you know, all your spirit just heads south there a little bit. I have to tell myself, okay, here we go. I'm going to get in this line. I get in the line, and all of a sudden I pick the wrong one, Right? And I have to say to myself, I am not going to let my mind go towards the sinful nature right now and get cynical, frustrated, and upset or worried. I need to let my mind go towards the Holy Spirit who says, I want to build patience in you, Carrie. I don't want patience. I want to get on with my day. But this fruit of the Spirit, part of the fruit is the patience. And so... I try to choose best I can. I don't always win at it, but I choose to try to lean towards the Spirit and allow patience to be brought about in my life in the midst of a moment. Now, that may sound like a little facetious thing, but I have to do this stuff or I'm not any good. I mean, I may carry a title of pastor, but friends, that sinful nature, ooh, it raises its ugly head real quick, right? Somebody cut you off, raise your ugly head, right? It's, oh, I can't believe you do that. You get frustrated with somebody else. Somebody doesn't quite turn, you know, a conversation the way you want. Somebody maybe stabbed you in the back. Somebody, you know, uh, didn't follow through on something they were supposed to do. And inside of your heart, I'm not going to choose to live according to the sinful nature today because I've died in Christ to that life. I've now got a new transforming person working in me. And it's Mr. Holy Spirit 
And Holy Spirit, I need you to help me right now because I'm not being very holy, right? You have to walk these things out on a regular basis, on a day-by-day basis. Let me look at a few things here in this Romans passage. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. What you do with your mind is critical as it relates to discovery of the Holy Spirit. I am amazed by how we spend our week so quickly without our mind dwelling on things of the word, dwelling on things that are good. All right. The mind cannot be set on just the natural uh, driven desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. How do you know what the spirit desires? Well, you can read the word, but the spirit desires all that Jesus desired. Remember, Jesus says, I do not speak on my own authority, but I only speak what comes to me from God the Father. So also the spirit. Whatever is on the spirit's mind is what was on Jesus's mind. So go to scriptures, find what was on Jesus's mind, and then you know what's on the mind of the spirit. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Again, I believe the spirit is actually a spirit of peace itself. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. It can't even do so. Wow, that's pretty heavy. You have some people that you wish they would act different. They're not believers. Give them a break. They don't have the spirit that can lead them in some of those directions. That's not giving them excuse. But the sinful mind is hostile to God. It's not going to submit to God's law. It can't do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, though, you're not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, the spirit lives in you. And if you don't have the spirit of Christ, then guess what? You don't belong to Christ. So don't fool yourself. You can come and sit in your church as long as you want. But until you invite Jesus to come into your life, you're dead. You are dead spiritually. There's there's no spirit life that comes from God in you. All right. But if Christ enters in you, your body's dead because of sin. It's a past done work. There's a pretty heavy theology things we could pull apart, but we won't. Your spirit's alive because of his righteousness. And if the spirit of Jesus raised him from the dead living in you, then guess what? He's going to give you life to your multiple bodies. And so there's nothing that he can't do. Therefore, this is our obligation, not to live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. I got a question for you. This is going to sort of cause you to think a little bit. Do we have two or three parts? The theological terms are bipartite and tripartite. Do we have two parts, body and spirit, soul? Or are there actually three parts, body, soul, and spirit? You're now going like, man, Carrie, you just really jumped into something pretty heavy and deep. Let me try. I don't know. Think about that. My daughter's been uh, doing a lot of dissection at school. I mean, she's dissecting everything. I don't know. You know. I'm just getting her interested in science. That's pretty cool. And I, I haven't helped her out with this. I know my other kids, we used to dissect these little sharks and those kinds of things. But you cut them open and you see everything that's in there. And you go, ooh, that's cool. Or, oh, that's gross, right? Dissecting the human being, what you walked in here as today. If we were to cut it open, are there two parts Or are there three parts? In reality, there is the material part of you. And then there's the immaterial part of you. The material part of you would be what? Your flesh, your bones, all right? Your muscles, all right? 
you could dissect the human body and you could discover that you are a material being with all those body parts. But in dissecting a human being, would you be able to find the spirit or the soul? Where'd it go? Where'd it go? I can't look. Keep looking. You know, pull back that organ. Pull back the other organ of material basis. Is there the mater- immaterial there? The reality is you are both material and immaterial, and the immaterial is what lasts eternally. You are given a new body in the heavenly realm, Scripture says. You're clothed with immortality. And so the, the idea that there's this immaterial part that the Spirit of God comes to work with in is what you need to grab a hold of. Now, you're not going to solve this debate between are we body and spirit soul or are we body, soul, and spirit because that's sort of gone on for a while. But I tell you what, there are some passages in Scripture uh, that seem to uh, give reference that there's really three parts. And so I sort of I've wavered back and forth through my theological education years as to, as to which way is going on here. But as it sort of divides itself out in First Thessalonians, I believe there to be sort of three aspects of the body if you were to dissect it. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. So the Apostle Paul here is referencing three parts. Now there's other places where Paul just sort of references two parts. But you have to admit that in the immaterial aspect of the human being, you have different aspects of life. You have, you have the mind, and, and the mind is, yeah, you can cut open and see the brain, a bunch of gray matter, but that's not necessarily the mind, and the mind thinks, it's heart. you got the mind, you think in terms of a conscience, you think in terms of the will, you think in terms of emotions, all right? There's these other aspects of you as a human being that are going on. And so the idea that there is a spirit, a soul, and a body, I believe helps sort of break these apart a little bit. There's another passage that says this in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So the writer to Hebrews is actually saying that you can actually divide between the spirit and the soul. So if you're into trying to think through this, just hang with me. I think there's some validity for saying that we are tripartite people of body, soul, and spirit. I sort of like to diagram it this way. There's the physical body, organs, bones, Okay, then there is the soul part, which consists of your mind, your emotions and your will. I'll just leave those three intact with that. But then in the inner part is your spirit. Okay, and your spirit is where the Holy Spirit comes to reside. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you commit your life to be a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes and seals your inner spirit with himself. When you stand before God on Judgment Day on the other side and he says, why should I let you, an imperfect person, into my perfect heaven? God will say, oops, I see it. I see the Spirit of Jesus 
in you. We are sealed until the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit. So no matter how messed up you are in life, no matter how far you've walked away from God or for how many years, you need to know this. If you genuinely receive Jesus Christ to come into your life, to save you, to work inside of your life, you are sealed until the day of redemption. All right? And you need to be secure in that. And I'm not going to get off on the whole thing of eternal security. Can you lose your salvation? Those kinds of things. That's a whole discussion for another time. And there probably is the apostate kind of individual as quoting the scripture. But here's the reality. The Holy Spirit seals you permanently, forever, with the power from on high to live. And that power is going to work through your life. To change you and to transform you. And it's going to start transforming your mind, how you view things. Transforming your emotions and steady yourself. It's going to transform the will so you're no longer stubborn and belligerent, but you're, 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 more, you're fluid and you're more you know, malleable toward what God wants you to be. Thank God that we don't have to go through this Christian life with a God who's out there trying to work from out there inward. But we have a God who comes in and works through our lives. I cannot go anywhere outside of his presence. No matter how far I messed up, God is there. And God is the hound of heaven on our trail sometimes, I say, because he's pursuing us and wanting us, even if we stray, to say, let me work in your life to change you to transform you, to give you righteousness, to give you peace, and to give you joy in the Holy Spirit. That diagram is pretty important. Pretty important. If we were to go to Israel, uh, there's a lot of ruins from back in Jesus' day. But one of the things you can find there is a model that was done of the way it looked in Jesus' day. Some of you have been there. Some of you have seen this model. This here is a man-made model of what the temple looked like in the day of Jesus. Herod's temple. There's three aspects to Herod's temple. There's the outer part, the, um, the outer court, where all you see those colonnades were. And when Jesus went in, he cleared out the temple, the money changers. That's where all the little booths were set up that were ripping off people. And he says, out of here, you know, my uh, father's house shall be a house of prayer, not, you know, of corruption. Then there's the middle part. Uh, not the tall part, but the middle part is the holy place, all right? And sacrifices were offered there and what's going on. And then the tall part is the holy of holies. So three parts, outer court, holy place, and holy of holies. You got that? Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went into the holy place, the holy of holy place, I mean, and it's sort of a big deal, and, and, and you know, you can study about all that. Well, do you realize that the scriptures teach, Paul teaches, that um, our bodies, or I'll just read 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. And then three chapters later in 1 Corinthians 6.19, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's why our bodies, it's not this dichotomism. It's like, oh, the body's bad, evil. You might as well use it, abuse it, whatever. 
No, the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells within you, and He wants to work through your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, and through your body to bring wholeness. The temple is no longer a physical structure you go to. God followers no longer go to a temple. Even a church. You don't come to meet God here. Now, God's here as we worship. But you no longer go to the temple. You bring the temple with you when you worship. Isn't that a radical difference, the way they view it? I mean, you need to prepare yourself to bring the temple on the Sunday morning sometimes, right? Maybe get to bed on Saturday night. Come here. I mean, you are bringing the temple because you house the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. Now, this is a powerful truth, not just for worship and hope and being in the presence of God. It's a powerful truth for transformation. Galatians 5.16, another great section, goes back to this whole sinful nature of the Spirit. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you will be doing what your sinful nature craves. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation of the law or Moses. All right? Some um, other teaching there. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results, well, they're sort of predictable. They're very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Whew, that's a heavy list, isn't it? That's where the sinful nature will take you. If your mind's set on the sinful nature, it will lead you to death. All right? Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And here's the fruit of the Spirit list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Can you compare those two lists? You want to compare those two lists? Look at that list. Okay. Is there some fun in that? Sure. Sin, sin has fun. There's no doubt about that. For a season. All right. But look at that list. The fruit of the Spirit. How would you like to be around that kind of person? Well, guess what? You have that kind of person. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that. And the Holy Spirit dwells in your temple. And when you walk around and you're wanting to make the choices between the sinful nature, the, what's called the flesh, or to live in the Spirit, you say, okay, I know it's maybe not true of me and of my own in the flesh, but I know that the Spirit dwells within me, and those things are true. Verse 24 of Galatians 5, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. The Holy Spirit transforms. Transforms the person yielded to his control. And then I add this next one, and we'll transition with this into next week. The Holy Spirit gives the power, the power for holy living and the power for effective 
witness. How you doing? Is the Holy Spirit controlling your life and transforming you? Or are you fearful of the Holy Spirit? Are you scared of maybe where he might lead you? Things he might ask you to let go of control. Are you fearful of stepping into maybe more of an experience of your faith rather than just a cognitive knowledge of your faith? The Holy Spirit is your friend. He's your helper, your paraclete, your counselor, your comforter. And he dwells within you. Because when Jesus left us, he didn't leave us as orphans. He breathed on us the spirit and not just to rest upon us like it did right after the resurrection. But on the day of Pentecost, it came and permanently indwelt the followers of Jesus. Sometimes I've resisted the spirit. Sometimes I've grieved the spirit. Many times I've ignored the spirit. But each and every day as I grow in my Christian faith, I keep saying, Lord, help me not. Help me to be open to being filled with your spirit. A fresh and filling every day. Roll out of bed tomorrow morning. And say, good morning, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you fill me today and transform me so that my mind's not set on the sinful nature, but that my mind is set on your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, living, breathing, working through me. He will answer that prayer. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you this morning that we're able to focus on such a an intimate subject of you, your Holy Spirit. And Lord, though the Holy Spirit is of an immaterial measure and we live in a material body, we know that we also have this immaterial aspect of our life that needs the fullness and the power of your Spirit changing and transforming us. So Lord, I just pray for all of us, wherever we're at on our journey, even if we're not a follower of yours this morning, May we put up the yield sign, the white flag, and surrender. And allow your spirit to take more and more control every day. We have all of you, but sometimes you don't have all of us. And so, Lord, we freshly submit ourselves to you. May your spirit work to bring transformation, not only for us to enjoy in our life, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, but transformation that will help bring transformation into others, our children, our co-workers, even our enemies. Lord, we thank you.